are listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Now would you stand for today's reading from Scripture? I'll be reading Matthew 28, 1 through 10, and that is on pages 992 and 993 of the Black Bibles underneath the seat in front of you. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Death has been on my mind a lot these last few weeks. My family and I took a spring break vacation to Mexico to a a little tourist town on the Yucatan Peninsula uh, 14 years ago. Uh, when my wife and I were told that we would never have kids of our own, we dipped, it in, dipped into our savings in order to get away for a beach vacation. Two years later, we returned, pregnant with our daughter. Uh, last week, we went for a third time and took our daughter with us, showing all the places she had enjoyed in utero without knowing it. And, and in some ways, taking her back to Mexico brought the story full circle and tied a nice bow on it, uh, but in other ways, it resurfaced a lot of the old pain and grief, the the lost hopes and the dreams we had mourned while we were in Mexico. Well, then we returned on Thursday, and I came back to a barrage of ongoing hits and and losses. Uh, Pastor Tom's sister-in-law, Robin, had been on hospice for a month, and she passed away last week. He and Linda are actually in the car right now, headed to Kansas for the funeral. Uh, As mentioned in the prayer, John Wolfgang, who's a longtime attender here at Faith, passed away last week. Um, and his memorial will be here on, on Friday. Yesterday, I helped facilitate a, a ceremony for a, a dear friend whose wife of 43 years passed away last Christmas. He wanted to memorialize the moment that he removed his wedding ring for the last time. He said there was a ceremony when he put it on. We had a ceremony for when he took it off. And today, Pastor Jeff had planned to be here and be part of this service, but his brother Brad's cancer has returned with a vengeance, and chemotherapy is no longer effective, and Brad, uh, who pastors down in Shelbyville, is too weak to lead his own Easter service, so Jeff is there leading the service for him. I've been thinking a lot about death in the last few weeks. Actually, this whole Lenten season, we began the Lenten season walking the way of the cross with Jesus, digging into these, you know, to what Matthew records of these last few hours of Jesus's life before his crucifixion, beginning as we did on Ash Wednesday, that day that we remind ourselves that, yeah, we mortals are 
mortal. <laughs> we come from dust, and one day we'll return to dust. And every Sunday after that, we moved one step closer to the cross. Until just two days ago, on Good Friday, we laid our king in the tomb, despairing as the one who we thought would deliver us was laid beyond our reach in the place where all of our hopes and all of our dreams have gone to die. But then today, but then we come to today and we celebrate Easter morning because Jesus is risen. Amen? Amen. But no one else is. No one else is. I've been thinking about death a lot the last few weeks. But even more than thinking about death, I've been longing, I found myself longing for resurrection. Yes, Jesus is risen and we celebrate and we should, and yet we look at the world around us and all of the pain and the suffering and we look at each other and the struggles that we see one another fighting against and we look at ourselves and the ones that we have loved who have left us. Death has been defanged, we're told, and yet it, it still gnaws on our legs like a geriatric lion that doesn't know it's out of the fight. If it's true that Jesus has risen from the dead and freed us from the power of sin and death in our lives, then why do we feel like it's always Friday and never Easter? And why do we feel like we only ever see Easter coming in, in fits and starts and glimpses and mirages, and yet somehow at the end of our lives, Friday is going to get the final word. I think the disciples were feeling a similar way on that first Sunday morning, the first day of the week. You know, Jesus had talked about rising from the dead, but surely that, that was a metaphor, right? A figure of speech, all that dying and rising talk. So the men in the group, the leaders, are holding back, holed up back in Jerusalem somewhere, hiding from the crowds and the authorities, not wanting to be noticed. It's the women who have the courage to revisit the tomb, bringing the treatments that are customary for a reverential and respectful burial. They don't mind being publicly identified with Jesus. It's now the third day Jesus died and was buried on Friday. He lay in the tomb on Saturday, the Sabbath, and now it's Sunday, and these women who followed Jesus, the very ones who watched as he was buried, are going back to the tomb. That's where we are in chapter 8, picking up in verse 1. As they're on their way, the ground shakes. Matthew describes it as a great earthquake in, in verse 2 and says it's caused by an angel from God who descends and rolls back the stone unsealing the entrance to Jesus' tomb, and he's sitting on top of this thing and frightening the guards so terribly that they collapse. They are out, and we don't hear anything more of them for the rest of, well, this part of the story. And then as the women approach, the angel is sitting there, and his appearance, as described by Matthew, is enough cause for fear that the angels quickly say to the women, don't, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. I know, we know why you're here. We know why you're here. You're, you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's, he's not here. He is risen, as he said he would. Come in, see the place where he lay. And the women are invited into the tomb to examine its emptiness for themselves. You know, in all my reading of these, this passage and these passages over the years, I always thought that the angel rolled away the stone from the tomb's entrance so that Jesus could get out 
as if the resurrected Lord of the universe was trapped by a few inches of stone. But here, the angel has just rolled back the stone and says Jesus has already risen, meaning the angel didn't open the tomb so Jesus could get out. The angel opened the tomb so that the women could get in, so that they could see the first great, astonishing truth of the resurrection that the tomb is empty. They're not invited there as witnesses to watch Jesus walking out, but to go in and see that he has already risen. And as witnesses, they're given a mission, go quickly, tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And so the women depart in haste, uh, their initial anxiety and grief turning into shock and shock turning into fear and fear beginning to give way to joy. First, I think with hesitation, but with every pounding footstep and every glance at each other and every uncontainable smile, their joy solidifies, could this really be true? Because on the face of it, an empty tomb doesn't mean much. Someone could have stolen the body. The soldiers could have taken it off somewhere to desecrate it. An animal could have gotten in. But just like at the very beginning of this long story that Matthew has told, an angel has appeared with glad tidings of great joy that life has come. This time, he is risen. He's risen indeed, and these women are wondering, everything he said about dying and rising, we thought it was a, a metaphor, a figure of speech. Yeah, Jesus, you'll be verbally crucified. But then he died for real. So could the rising also be for real? The tomb is empty. Is it true that the Lord has risen? Well, they don't have to wait long to find out. Verse 9 breaks into the narrative. You expect as they're running back to the disciples, the next thing you would hear is then, and they said to the brethren, but verse 9 uh, breaks into the narrative with the surprise of a sucker punch with this Greek phrase, and behold. <laughs> we don't really know how to translate that. It just means stop, look, pay attention. This thing is happening. Notice it. Behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. That's such a vanilla word, isn't it? Greetings. It's because it's so hard to catch all the nuances of that kind of a hello in just the word hello. But it's the quiet, it's the almost casual hello, you know, the slightly ironic one with, with the little smile, the hello you give someone when you know that they're surprised to see you and you get to watch for a few seconds as the gears turn in their minds as they try to figure out what's happening here. It's the hello when, when you've been gone for too long, and there's no one else you'd rather see. It's the hello that many of us are waiting to hear one day when we're reunited with the ones that have left us too soon. See, the angel appeared, Matthew describes, like lightning with clothing of a, a dazzlingly pure white, and fear is emanating before this angel. People fall away and they back off from him, but Jesus shows up with a gentle, hey, and a smile, and these women fall at his feet, grabbing a hold of him in worship. As witnesses to the empty tomb and now witnesses to the risen Lord, he repeats their mission, go. Don't be afraid. 
go and tell my brothers, tell the brethren, tell the crew, go to Galilee. That's where I will meet them. That's where they'll see me. And as they run to share the message and then the disciples begin their trek off north to Galilee, Matthew cuts the scene to the guards now awake and running back to the chief priest to report on what has happened to them. It's an ironic twist because earlier these priests had said, we need to set a guard because otherwise Jesus' followers are going to make up a story and tell some deceitful untruths and steal his body and claim he was resurrected. Well, now we need some deceitful untruths to claim he wasn't resurrected. So they bribed the guards to say that they'd fallen asleep on the job. And while they were asleep, they saw the disciples come and steal the body. Well, Matthew shifts perspective again, away from the the fear and the manipulation of the chief priests and back to the joy and the hope and the triumph of Jesus and his disciples now in Galilee as we get to the end of chapter 28. And this whole big story that Matthew has been telling from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 28 comes to its final conclusion, or rather I should say it comes to its new beginning, because the king of the Jews born in the first two chapters, becomes the king of all nations, the king of heaven and earth. And Emmanuel, the baby born with the name God with us, now resurrected, promises, I am with you. I am with you always to the very end. Jesus is risen. It's a shocking story, and yet it's true. The tomb is empty. Death is defeated, and the power of sin is broken. All of the dark forces of the world, all the chaos and pride and and greed and death have done their worst to Jesus, and they have exhausted themselves in the efforts and have proven they're powerless, as this morning's Easter devotional reminded us. And yet, and yet, We live our lives today in the tension. The great and the final Easter, the the resurrection of all things, when all sad things come untrue, that great day is still to come. Jesus is risen, but no one else is. And dealing with that tension, I've noticed that as we try to deal with it, our, our world has kind of separated itself into two groups. There are, are some of us who, who live as if it is always Friday and never Easter, and those of us who insist on living as if it's always Easter and never Friday. Now, it's not a clever way of saying Christians and non-Christians. Both perspectives are wrong. Uh, but some of, us, some of us live as if it's always Friday And never Easter, there is no big story to this world. The universe isn't going anywhere, it just is. And so, in the midst of all of our suffering, we do our best to create some sort of purpose for ourselves, some sort of meaningful life through family, jobs, wealth, experiences, whatever we can get our hands on. We do our best. Try not to think about the fact that one day the universe will burn up and nothing you do will ultimately ever matter and no one will even be around to notice that you ever existed. On the other hand, some of us try to live as if it's always Easter and never Friday. We refuse to acknowledge any suffering at all. Don't even mention it or you'll invite it. Jesus wants us to live in victory, not in suffering, we say. 
And so if we acknowledge the suffering, we recognize it as, well, that's a minor setback, or it's a, it's a precursor to something better that God has for you, or, or God's trying to teach you a lesson. And we go around trying to heal each other's deepest wounds with trite little phrases. You know, like, God's got this. He'll never give you more than you can handle. Everything happens for a reason. Both of those approaches to the reality of suffering and the promise of resurrection are wrong approaches because we are Christians who are called to walk in the way of the cross. Not just in the way of the resurrection, not just in the way of suffering, but to walk in the entire way of the cross with Jesus, walking with him in both his suffering and defeat on the cross and his victory and resurrection after the cross. We are people of the way of the cross, people of the way of life through suffering, of victory through death. For us who walk the way of the cross, Easter is a reminder that it is always Friday, but Easter is always Friday coming. It is Friday, but Easter, the final Easter, is coming. To walk in the way of the cross is to walk in the suffering of Friday with the backbone of the hope of Easter. I've been thinking a lot about death in the last few weeks, but today I'm reminded that the tomb is empty, and the Lord is risen, And whatever pain I've been struggling with and whatever sorrow you have been fighting against, those pains and sorrows, those deaths and those losses will not have the final word. It may be Friday, but the last great Easter is coming. And I know because the first great Easter has come. He is risen. Let's pray. Father, we, we admit we do not want to live in the space, in the time between Jesus' victory over death and the final consummation of the kingdom in which we and those we love and all that we have lost will be resurrected to new life. We long for the victory of that day 2,000 years ago to be the victory of today and that we would be in the victory of forever, and yet you have us still here, waiting. You have us still here, resting solely in Christ alone and on his sacrifice on our behalf. We know, Father, as you give us glimpses of Easter to come. That one day the great resurrection will roll over us like a tidal wave and all will be washed clean and be made new. But until that day comes, Father, keep us faithfully in your love that we may rejoice in the final resurrection with your son. We pray in the name of the one who died and rose again for us. 
Amen.